Hey guys, it's Nick here, your DM for Campaign 2 of Character Arcana. I just wanted to take a moment to tell you guys about our new Patreon account. Um, if you love what we're doing and you'd love to help support us, get some bonus episodes and some behind-the-scenes content, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash character arc. That's patreon.com slash character A-R-K. Thank you guys, and we can't wait to see you there. Ahoy hoy! Welcome aboard the Character Arc Podcast, where we discuss story elements to movies we just watched. We put a special emphasis on character as we break down things we liked, didn't like, and provide changes as if we were the ones making the movie. Let's get started. Ahoy hoy, Character Arc listeners. I'm Ted Hong. Uh, I'm Richard Bertelson. And today, today, we watched Wonder Woman 1984. This world is not yet ready for all that you will do. Your time will come, Diana. And everything will be different. This movie is a fucking mess. It's it is, a it's, mess. It, it is, is a clusterfuck. It is... You know, at first I was kind of having... It doesn't seem like it. It seems like, okay, this might just be a normal superhero movie. Meaning it eases you in. Not necessarily super impressive for the right. genre, but also not bad. Mm-hmm. Seems competent enough. But, boy, as it keeps going, it just throws more, more all kinds of new stuff at you that is just silly. Like, Out of silly. Field, like, yeah. Absolutely. Like, I mean, at the goofy, like a cartoon goofy. Yeah. In a way that also doesn't really fit with what I think it wants to say, although I'm not sure what it wants to say I, because... I think it tries to say too many things at once. Is the, <laughs> That's the problem. And like some of the things were fine, like production quality-wise, I suppose yeah. it's fine. But the story itself is all over the place. Yeah. It's uh, very... What people want and what, they, what the overall message that they want to say end up kind of overlapping in very defeating ways. The movie starts in a way that almost guarantees this is going to be a problem. And that is that really quickly we meet Diana in 1984. I mean, you know, we get the we get kind of the normal mm-hmm. superhero thing, which is that, hey, she does a superhero save. Yeah, and we set the scene setting. Mm-hmm. All that's cool. She's fine. seasoned enough. <clears throat> and then she's done this for a bit. Immediate. We meet Kristen Wiig. Kristen Wiig has a wish stone. <laughs> And pretty much from there, once you introduce Wishstone to the movie, my God, yeah. the plot for one, that is a fundamental problem. And I understand that this isn't necessarily like unheard of in comics, but you have to have a certain elegance when adapting something absurd to a film because it's going to look and feel not necessarily like it does when you read it in a comic. Right. And in this case, the movie doesn't try to manage the wishes. And I think that's its cardinal sin. Yeah. So the wishes start spiraling out of control really fast in a way that reality doesn't doesn't work in a way that's it's followable, but barely from a like character motivation standpoint, mm-hmm. like you were saying. So, yeah. you know, Barbara wishes to be cool, I guess, sexy and smart and stuff. And so what does she do? She takes her pants off and she's hot. She could have done that anyway. I mean, she, Kristen Wiig was already, by most standards, an attractive woman. <laughs> she just dressed a certain way. It, it's it's That's a, one aspect. It's like a it's like a teen that. it's like a teen movie trope that we are now being given twenty twenty in a superhero teen film. movie trope. <laughs> hits it right on the head because she, the fact that okay, she drops papers and she's either non memorable, especially the person what a that monster. fires her. Yeah, she drops her papers and they're like. Huh, 
You dropped your shit. And then they just keep walking. No, that is a fucking... It's it's lazy no, as it's fuck. It's lazy. It, it even she even has that moment where she's re, after she has the transformation from the wish and she's sitting there and she's the she's everyone in the office loves her now, which we don't really see happen other no. than she can walk in heels now and she stopped dressing a certain way. Well, she, she is fundamentally the same though. N- she wished to be Diana. Right, she wished Kate. to have all the she she did list off like the specific like oh, the sexy yeah. and popular mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Right, right. And she literally like takes off her glasses while we're eating is like, oh I guess I don't need these anymore. Like like it is so you know, you know Ted, you know Ted how people with glasses are just fucking hideous trolls. <laughs> don't I know. Ted has glasses. Fuck Which up. obviously I'm joking because what a what a ridiculously dated way to play a scene out it is really like, is. Like I'm pointing out how that is a it's stupid. absurd. It's stupid it's so that we laughable. would think that because yeah. she took her glasses off, oh, she's cooler now. She's so now. attractive now. <laughs> it's like, no. She took her hair out of a ponytail. She's suddenly amazingly hot now. Um, hold on. So the whole plot. Sorry, we, we've hit a whole. We've this hit is a the point. Yeah. Is that the whole plot? No, is no, 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 no. No, I, I mean, <laughs> so this is where we go from the wishes, and then right, and then right. Pedro Pascal's character, who is mm-hmm. like this Max Lord, and just this. I kind of like what Pedro Pascal was doing with this character at first. He's like a gre- he's like over a, the top. He's like greasy. a grimy con man, yeah. like trying to get ahead by just playing a bunch of scams. Like it doesn't necessarily paint him as being super deceptive, Terrible. but rather that maybe just incompetent in a way that he has to constantly convince people to kind of invest in. He's a loser. Sure, he's a loser that mm-hmm. came by some good investments, I guess, or people invested in him rather. And then he wishes. To be the wish stone. So we introduce the wish stone so that he can grant wishes when people touch him. The movie goes a really long way, a really long time without explaining how this is working because he does a bunch of really weird shit that doesn't necessarily make that much sense. On top of that, he's it makes it seem like he's got a really weird kink that he needs to, to touch, touch everyone. <laughs> I just need to touch the most people today. <laughs> and so he does kind of... But we kind of know the answer because the movie told us eventually. But essentially what it is is that it's monkey paw rules, which yeah. the movie specifically says, which is that when he grants a wish, the stone also takes something. But he's the stone now, so he takes something. Also, this is a rule that is not very consistent or doesn't really make sense. Can he only take something from the wish, yeah. wisher or can he just make up and anything he wants, the movie disagrees with itself on that in various points. So to that degree, then on his initial wish to be the stone, something should have been taken from him. Yes. But nothing really, apart from his declining health. But but that's weird like to believe that's because of all the wishes he's granting, yeah, exactly. I think, I guess. I don't right. know. Something, something else, something more of a cost should have been in play if we were to go along with this type of concept of this wish stone, this monkey paw. And also... Yeah, she wishes for Steve back. Steve's soul enters some poor person's body, who we assume is wiped from existence. Yeah. So what happens to him? He did, he had nothing to do with the wish. Suddenly nope, he's, he's just gone. He's just gone. And we have a really confusing scene where she meets Steve as the other guy, but then the the movie just decides to show us Steve's face anyway, so that Chris Pine could be back. Why? Like this is such, this is so forced. You could have had Steve just be a different actor. Because here's, here's where we get into a bigger problem with this. The first Wonder Woman film, I think, is very good. Oh, yeah, same. But if you wanted to have Steve for a bunch of sequels, just don't kill him in the first one. You don't have to kill him. Even if you did go with a wish, did you have to do it where some poor guy... He enters someone else's body. Enters someone else's body. Okay, so she starts losing her powers, and you know his health is like... He's just you know, that's reanimated. What she, yeah, that's what she gives up for the monkey ball. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But just to quickly 
wrap up the whole plot so we can kind of hit these certain points. We've actually only gone like 30 minutes in. 30 minutes. And yeah. from there, <laughs> these three chaotic narratives just clash in baffling and confusing ways. That's the movie. That's it. <laughs> you want to stop there? <laughs> <laughs> Let me just get to that last conflict where Max Lord is... He finds that he takes over the president's abilities, and so he goes over to this base where it's like a new GPS system. I guess some satellite that's up in space that can transmit whatever broadcasting into all forms of technology, even computers that cannot handle that type of thing, right? Anyway, so that's how he's he's right, empowering st- himself by taking these wishes to everybody who are just kind of subtly making wishes and. The movie set up its own limitations in one that it's set in 1984. Therefore, like as you said, these images couldn't be broadcast on computer screens the way that they are in this film. So it unnecessarily, unnecessarily limited itself and unnecessarily broke those rules. Also, it sets the rule that he has to touch the person in order to grant the wish. And somehow he's not touching them And anymore. he's not touching them. And there's a, some throwaway line that like the particles go through the TV screens and you're touching them. And he has some weird fucking cackling. I can touch Sports. them all. Yeah. <laughs> And that's the end of the plot. And he takes over the world, and that's pretty much it. Oh, and then Linda Carter shows up. You'll you'll notice that we didn't really... We, we kind of shifted focuses to Pedro Pascal as the climax. Barbara's in there, too, as Cheetah for some reason. I don't know. But there's really... Um, yeah. What they try to establish in the beginning is that, you know, they have, like, oh, they're both kind of not outcast, but more so Barbara, but Diana more so herself, just keeping making a choice, right? And they try to have them connect on that front what they fail to do is kind of have their characters resemble each other further. Like we kind of understand Diana and Barbara's is just too laughable. It's just like she drops her papers and there's no decent human being to just help. And even if someone is forgettable, no one would react in such a way to be like, Oh, I hired you last week, but I don't know who the fuck but you I don't are. know who you are. Are you I mean, joking? So you're an incompetent boss. Yes. Is what you are, you are, you are, <laughs> you should not have your job no. at this very prestigious museum. Like again, <laughs> maybe trying to make some humor into it or trying to elevate or deepen her character situation. That's, that's the problem with Barbara is that she, she isn't a character. She, she is, she is just a trope. She is just a, yes. a trope from, an old teen movie, and she's just inserted in here, and the movie would be better if she weren't in it. For one, because this movie does have so many things happening that it's just very long, and it focuses on all the wrong things. It focuses on Barbara sort of being clumsy, and then it skips over really anything that would be meaningful that she would want. She just instantly turns to another trope, which is, I just want power. I just want to be an apex predator, quote-unquote. Right. She doesn't... She doesn't seem to, like, at first, the most you could assume is that she wants, like, respect and love and attention. Yeah. But that's not what she gets. No. That's not what she starts working towards. She just beats up on people. Like, I know she, like, we the see her beat guy. up on, like, a, someone who deserves to who be beat up. Who did harass her, yeah. But after that, she just becomes kind of a henchman because she just goes to protect Pedro Pascal's character, Max, because Wonder Woman's trying to make him renege the wish or whatever, so that he's not the stone anymore. <laughs> to which, what happens to the stone? Does it just <laughs> At the end like of the film? Uh, does it like burst out of his chest, like you know, from the face so. hugger? <laughs> but nothing happened. But so that 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 becomes her only thing is to not have the wish undone. Eventually, because she made the wish again, which doesn't make sense because you can only make one wish. That's established in the film, but she makes two. Um, Unless he was like. You know, using his monkey paw powers, yeah, exactly. which doesn't make sense because he did, who did he take the cheetah power away from to give to her? Which again, it doesn't. I, 
But then she just has this really, really dull and boring fight with Wonder Woman. And then Wonder Woman goes and has the real climax with Pedro Pascal. Let's talk about... Do you have more to say about Barbara? Yeah, I do. So, story front, I think they should have reflected each other in some form, like... Maybe even something like along like self care. Like everyone else is great. Like if if they made Barbara because they they tried to give that little bit of humanity to Bar to Barbara where she gave her leftovers to some homeless man. You know how gracious of her. But that was the only one aspect. It wasn't like even even if she was like misunderstood and people were not caring about her, but she still managed to do nice things to people, and that was taken advantage of. That would be a problem. And because that's the same thing that Diane is doing, but you know on the flip side. Because that is that is kind of the implication of is that like oh well, they're both kind of these giving people, and then as the movie kind of hits its uh, fulcrum point with the wishes, that we should believe that Barbara becomes now more. S- See, but they they both become more selfish. It's just Barbara gets the powers and uh, Wonder Woman loses them. But also, Wonder Woman quote unquote becomes more selfish. This is her journey where she just wants to keep Steve, but also mm-hmm. that's barely an afterthought of things, right? I do have a change for that, but that's a just separate thing. On Barbara, though, what what you're saying is that she should be like Selena Kyle in Batman Returns. <laughs> she is like she is like a very good employee to you know Christopher Walken's character, and she just you know kind of ends up being walked all over on it. Yeah, yeah. And, and so out the window when and... she becomes when she goes back to get a revenge, that her becomes revenge on him because she kind of gave her livelihood for this guy. And he didn't appreciate it, right? That would be a much more that would be a much more interesting storyline for Barbara to go through because yeah. she's instead of just being this unseen person, yeah, like she's she takes care of everyone. No one appreciates it, and so now when she has power, she becomes drunk on it, yeah. And then yeah, so that would have been a little bit more something, a little more concise with this story. Can we touch on a quick plot point? It has to do with the armor. Yeah. Okay. So. The thing we, this movie should have been about? It, what it should have been about. And that could have been, like, the supporting part for Wonder Woman, for, you know, Diana, to get to that last point. May I quickly just introduce the armor, which is that at, like, two hours into this film, yeah, they're in a closet, and Steve's like, what's that? And she's like, oh, it's the world's most powerful armor from our most powerful <laughs> warrior who took the beatings of the entire world. It's in my closet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I want to try oh, to... When she specifically <laughs> says, I, ser- I after like the events of presumably part one, she's like, I searched all over the world for it. It's like, I mean, based on this ridiculous fucking mess that I've just watched, I wish I watched you look for the armor because that, that sounds like a cool movie. That would have been really good. <laughs> so here's, here's what I think they should have changed. Instead of having the original prologue, they would have had that armor. They would have featured her mm-hmm. more so. And... This would have also tied in with the theme, something along the lines of greed, right? And if the entire prologue featured her and her sacrifice and what made her a great warrior. The, the warrior that who yeah. the armor originally belonged to. Yeah. And then that's something for Diana to aspire to. I mean, she already did great in the first movie, but like this whole point of like maybe even self-sacrifice because she didn't really, there was, I mean, if you wanted to make this whole theme in some form about self-sacrifice. This movie doesn't really have a theme though because the movie does... The movie, that opening that does happen, instead we we get another flashback, I guess, of Diane as a child, seeing the same things we saw in the first movie. Right. We don't need to see them again. And she's given this thing at the end about how, like... Greatness a, is not built on a, a lie, lie, essentially. And then she she spits that line back at characters for whom it's not relevant. Yeah. And it doesn't really... It's not really something that we're seeing in the film. 
Yeah, because like Barbara wasn't asking for greatness. She just wanted some respect and some... And nothing mm. about her existence was a lie. Yeah. She she really was strong. being put upon, and she really was strong after yeah. that. Like, there wasn't... She wasn't trying to trick people. She didn't even know that's what happened. Right. She just eventually became, and she just appreciated the gift. So that was not executed properly. Two things. Okay. The armor is is useless in the story as a whole. Yes. He describes it as being like this invulnerable thing. This when I when they first saw that I'm like okay this is going to be like a plant and payoff because we know that Diane is losing her powers. Mm-hmm. So at some point she's going to just be mortal and she'll be easy to kill. So the only way she'll survive is by putting this armor on. Right. But the scene before she puts the armor on she gets all of her powers back. Right. And she gets new ones because she yeah. learns how to fly. Mm-hmm. So she puts on the winged invulnerability armor right after she learns how to fly and becomes invulnerable. What is the point? So there's no point of this armor existing. Absolutely it no wasn't payoff. woven into the backstory like you were describing, Ted. Mm-hmm. It doesn't serve a functional purpose, especially because she wears it and we immediately learn that for some reason Cheetah can tear it to shreds. Yep. So it's not that invulnerable, I guess. No. And it's like, why did you even bother? It's just another thing, uh, this movie being such a mess, where like so many things are being thrown at you, and you're like, I don't know which of these things are important, probably because none of them seem to be. I have a change for that, actually. <laughs> May I? Sure. Jump the- you said two things. Yeah. My other thing is just about um, Diana, because we get that moment when Diana does... when It's the same scene where, she find- where Steve finds the armor in her closet. <laughs> 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 and um which by the way i was i was when she walks just walks into that closet and looks at all the tv screens and he has this befuddled look on his face i was just imagining him going like oh fuck she's crazy <laughs> <laughs> she's got tv screens in the closet she's watching people um, she said she did not have any tvs she, she, she did, made it a very she did specific specifically point. say that i don't have movie. any tvs in my house but in my closet <laughs> got like 10 i've got 10 just stacked He's like, this. you know how to solve this problem, Diana. You know right. that you have to take your wish back. Right. So you take your wish back, it undoes the negative part of it. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, I won't. I've given up everything my whole life. All I do is give, give, give. Oh, yeah, I know where you're going. And it's like, was I supposed to know that? Because you don't show that in this movie. With when her she, lavish apartment. When, like, For one, yeah, she's she clearly has a successful career. She's talking about love. It's her own choice. We're never, given a, we're never shown that it's not her own choice. Right. She specifically turns down social encounters at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for her to do that other than she wants to. And she seems to fucking have a blast at the beginning when she's killing everyone in the mall. Um, oh, she didn't kill anyone. It <laughs> did not sound the way that I intended it to when she's fighting all the criminals in the mall. Yeah. It seems like she has a really good life. And suddenly there's this like... Everything we- is by her choice. Is there's the this weepy narrative that's kind of like, like we're going to bring back another superhero movie that's generally well-respected. Spider-Man 2 where Peter Parker decides to give up Spider-Man because it is we see it pressing on his academic life, his professional life, his romance life. Being Spider-Man makes every part of his life harder. Right. And so that's why he gives up being Spider-Man. She says that she has to give up everything to be Wonder Woman. We never see one single instance of that being true, except for that Steve died, but Steve chose to die to save people. To sacrifice. And, so, and that also would have been really good as a tie-in <laughs> to bring that back. Sorry, go ahead. So... We have like this weepy moment. Like, I hate when movies like like walk up and ever, all the characters are really upset and they're like, "This is what we've been doing." And it's like, "This is not what we've been doing. This right. is not." You brought this conflict up in this scene, and now you're resolving it in this scene. Right. And you had two fucking hours that I watched that you could have put this in, and you didn't. 
That's all. Right. Her character has no arc except for an invented one at the end. Yep. Both Steve and Diana know that they have to renounce the wish. This, I feel like, because the actual demonstration of renouncing the wish of something that you really wanted for the, the sacrifice for the betterment of everyone else would also draw parallels between her and Asteria. Was it? Was that was the name? Yeah. The- if that was the prologue, if we just watched Asteria do her thing. You're essentially saying that the, her renouncing her wish should have been the, the climax of the film. Yeah. Which it should have been. Which it should have been. Instead, it was tucked away in this kind of baffling scene of wishes tearing the world apart in a way that also is cartoonish and doesn't make a lot of sense, which yeah. is like society is essentially crumbled and then we move on. Right. So it's like at what cost, right? This whole point, and she knows what she has to do. That would have been a little bit more, it would have been tied in better. But going back to Max, they do a quick, with the lasso of truth, the whole quick flashback with how awful and abusive his father was. Such a cop-out. Such a cop-out at the very last minute to be like, last oh, minute. his life was hard. Don't you feel bad for him? I don't feel bad for him because everything you've shown me is he's a fucking monster. Yeah. And so I don't care that his dad hit his mom once or that he peed the bed and his dad hit him for it, which is, again, was such, really? tro- such, such exaggerated tropes. I mean, hey, these are all things that happen, and I feel bad for real humans that this happens to. But this guy who literally destroyed all of society, I don't give a fuck that... Your dad beat you because you pissed the bed, boy. Right. And showing us it right now does not excuse this character. And him kind of semi-undoing that and crying in front of his child, who he somehow gets a halfway around the world to hug at the end. All in a fucking blink of an <laughs> eye. How? It just This movie's built on cliches. It's, it's literally built on just... Wait until we get to Christmas. I've seen, I've seen this scene in a movie. I've seen this scene in a movie. I've seen this scene in a movie. What if we just cobbled them all together and made a Frankenstein movie of a bunch of just scenes that are... That at one point in some movie are powerful. But they're not in this one because they're all just cobbled together and have no, like, joining narrative. Right. But yes, the entire end of this film is a, is a massive cheesy as fuck denouement of just all of the world renouncing its wishes at the same time all the wishes that tore the world so apart because place diana kind of very quietly asked them to right again <laughs> for what who the fuck is this voice that i'm listening to telling me to give up the wish that i just got <laughs> you know right you know i mean sure you're seeing the world collapse around you but for some people... Okay, so here's the thing. It's because of how they showed their wishes. Initially, when people got their wishes, it was something that they all wanted, right? Mm-hmm. But the way the wishes came through in the end was it just showed the negative side immediately. Right. Right? And that, that's where that whole end doesn't, like, doesn't really work, too, is that like the world falls apart in a matter of minutes because of their wishes, as right. opposed to like actually everyone being really happy and then like a week later realizing the world's falling apart. Right. It happens all so instant. So instantly are there riots in the street. So instantly is our nuclear bombs launched. So instantly is everything. And then also so instantly are all of those things undone. And then even how it's undone, the way it seems like, oh, these wishes just manifest out of nowhere. But then when they renounce their wish, like, okay, the missiles, I had called this as we were watching this, just like shrapnel. (laughs) <laughs> fucking from the missiles just now dropping whatever is below that's bullshit and that that's if where it magically arrived it should magically disappear the same i mean you know magic logic if you want to go with that but it, it is literally like i mean i mean it i think that the reason why like the the first 
sin this movie committed was being centered on a wish stone because this is the only narrative. This is not the only narrative, but this is the only narrative you can get out of wishes when wishes are handled so willy nilly. Wishes have to be handled in a very tight way. And this movie had no interest in doing that. Like a hard magic system in a sense. Yeah. And because the reason why monkey Paul is such a trope in itself is because that short story establishes an idea of wishes that you would learn wishes are a bad thing that you'd want to stop using. And so, and you have to be very careful around. Whereas this movie, yes, that is kind of where the movie wants you to get to, but it too easily lets everyone in the world have a wish at once, which is such a clusterfuck to like process narratively that you just kind of gloss over it. Yeah. But like, imagine if by like how things like the wall suddenly appeared and then it collapses and then it collapses. No, people but are that dead. was instant, right? Yeah. So why didn't she die that instant, right? Yeah. It's like picking and choosing a little bit. So if someone, if more people wished other people to drop dead, or I wished a fucking bomb dropped down on your house, boom, it should have been that quick, but it didn't. So it's like, where, 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 where's the rules? Does it take a half second? Does it take five minutes? I mean, this is me just being really nitpicky. About no, I know, that. I know. But but yeah, the movie's so ridiculous. Like by this time. It really does feel like the narrative is unraveling in a way that the world is unraveling. And you're kind of, you don't know, you have nothing to hold on to as the audience. You're like, what am I supposed to really be rooting for here? We even said as as uh, Max, Pedro Pascal's character, goes on his journey to the president, you literally said, I don't know what he wants here. Neither did I. Yeah. He He's on this journey that we're following and we don't really know what his goal are. Just like we don't I actually even... know what Barbara's goal is. So... We only know what Wonder Woman's goal is that you always know what Wonder Woman's goal is, which is to stop the wish thing, to mm-hmm. stop the evil person. Right. But like the two main antagonists, we don't really know what they want. They're just on this journey to to more it. To which if they... So you could have done that where you see the negative ramifications of Barbara, right? So she got what she wished for, and this is where the monkey pot aspect comes into play. Maybe like greed begets greed. Maybe sure. if they wanted to say that the more you want, the more or the more you get, the more you want kind of a situation. But maybe some actual good comes from sacrifice. Like there's some sort of message you could play around with with greed and then also self-sacrifice or being a role model and some like kind of combining those things. They're all there. I just think they were executed poorly story wise. Well, there I, I think this movie is it really does feel like this movie was three different screenplays. Then they just cut up pieces of them and put them together because it does, it really does feel like that whole armor was a narrative that could have sustained like a whole interesting movie. Like put us in armor from kingdom. Like, like you, you skip the fifties, give us Indiana Jones, wonder woman in the fifties, finding this stuff. And like, Oh, that would have been super fun. (laughs) And, and then the, the Cheetah storyline and the Max Lord storyline, even though they're both antagonists, they're so vastly different from each other that if you don't feel like they're from the same movie, they no. don't feel like they're working towards the same goal because they're not. And so, like, so therefore you get Kristen Wiig, who's an excellent actress. I was going to say, I felt bad for her because she's she... super sidelined when yeah. she should be a a lead in this. Like, she should be a, a main antagonist. She is a main antagonist. She's one of the like the main ones she, against Wonder Woman. She is like Wonder Woman's arch nemesis. Yeah. So so why is she backseating it to Max Lord? Yeah. Granted, Max Lord is more powerful on like a base level in this of film. This, yeah, this movie. But but they could have they they could have been two different movies. Or you could have picked a way to handle the wish narrative better, 
by making instead of him just constantly sucking in wish power because that's that's all it that that's the way this that's, movie <laughs> this movie essentially ignores the fact of what wishes are and just like wishes are just code Some. word for magic that he sucks in and shoots back out right and so he he could have been a smaller narrative where like he was just he just had the stone let's say maybe even wishes to be the stone but he just very quietly makes some wishes that start slowly manipulating the world until it's different but really the only battle we see is between Barbara and Diana mm-hmm. there. And then it's like towards the end of the conflict that they even realize this wish stuff is fucking everyone. Mm-hmm. See, I mean like even like in a traditional movie sense, there's always like the protagonist versus like the Lieutenant of the antagonist, which is usually the big battle. And then the actual antagonist is more of a thematic battle. Mm. Right. Which they kind of do here. Cause they, it's not like they go toe to toe um, Max and, no, Diana. they right. fight with the power with of the love. Power of, and <laughs> that's that's more. <laughs> Let's jump to Christmas now because now everything is beautiful. <laughs> after after a really fucking long sequence of the world reneging its wishes and we learn how beautiful every human being on the planet is, then we fade out and we fade back in first on Diana flying around in a real cheesy. A lot of the tone of this movie is like the Schumacher Batmans or wow. like the wow. or like Superman three and four the the sequels of the Richard Donner and Superman's yeah. mm-hmm. this is and maybe they were kind of going for that because quote unquote eighties but those movies are bad yeah and don't we shouldn't take those try bad to copy things. them yeah um to which did and <laughs> I mean I can see some aspects of the story taking place in the eighties but I don't know if the eighties should be really all that highlighted it's not super relevant other than like you said the the nuke thing makes it semi relevant and, and other Soviets, than that yeah, and the whole yep we can make some jokes about fashion and stuff that's mm-hmm. that's about it yeah um but yeah but then when she's done flying in her super corny way we land in a really corny christmas market where we see children playing and people laughing and dancing and Wonder Woman saying so, so many things, so many things. So beautiful. So, so beautiful. <laughs> and Christmas music plays and the scene feels like it goes on forever, mainly because you've already been watching it for two and a half fucking hours. Yeah. And so why all of a sudden we are at the end of a Hallmark original movie? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. How did we get here? How did we get here? Uh yeah, and that's I think that's part of the frustrations. Like because there were so I equate this to like Star Wars where there are so many good aspects that could have been used, but somehow they're they go off on a different tangent. And then you wonder how why you would ever think that it's a good idea cuz like as we were watching this, Richard always was saying like how did this come together? Who greenlit some right. of these these I mean Story points and these action points just... Because most of the creative team is the same as the original Wonder Woman film by Patty Jenkins. Mm -hmm. It's not just her, though. It's also, like, the writers and stuff, like, which she is one of them, but one of them. Like, they have all proved that they know what makes a good narrative because they made one. So when they sat down and this was the final script, what made them say, this is good enough? Like... (laughs) Yeah. It's... Because it's almost... It's very egregious in terms of, like, bad tropes bad movie tropes, bad TV tropes, and then just going with it. I This movie was just such a mess. Yeah. And it does kind of had such reveal potential. itself over time. Uh-huh. Like I said, the, the opening of the movie doesn't excel, but you kind of feel like, yeah, this is in line with what we've seen from Marvel in like recent DC. But then, boy, does it just fall apart yeah. in like 20 different ways. It's unfortunate because, I mean, you know, you look forward to certain aspects like, 
knowing that Cheetah was going to be it, knowing it's like one of her main antagonists or villains, right? It just really got sidelined. Thanks, guys. Well, that's us. Don't watch Wonder Woman. Well, well watch it. Watch, watch Wonder Woman. Don't watch Wonder Woman 1984. <laughs> <laughs> I can't ever condone saying don't watch something. Watch it, but you'll probably have a hard time. Or maybe you won't. Who knows? Just watch it. Do what you want to do. Do what you want to do. Live your uh, life. Join us at characterarc.net. Join us on Instagram and Twitter at characterarc. Until next time, I'm Richard. And I'm Ted. Toodles. Toodles. Toodles.